Welcome to Missouri Loves Company. I'm Brock Wilbur. I'm Vivian Kane. Uh, this is our show about the Midwest, about politics, about art, culture, and uh, oh God, oh God, everything's on fire. Everything's on fire all the yeah, time right now. But also, we haven't done this show in a while because we're adjusting to Midwest time. Yes, that's that's the excuse that we're using. Uh, our cat is trying to get involved. One of three cats that wants to do sounds right now. Cat say uh, hello. Cat say hello. This is the bad one. This is the broken uh, one. Yeah, her sounds aren't great. Have we have we done a show since we got? We have. We the last show was right after we got our two new boys. We are now a three cat household. We're those kinds of people. We're we're doing good. Uh-huh. This is this is coping uh, appropriately. Anyway, we have uh, a rare out of town guest episode tonight, so we're just gonna get directly into it. Our guest tonight is. Hey, it's me, Jonathan Bradley Welch. It's me. <laughs> my favorite introduction we've ever done. <laughs> Jonathan, who are you? Why are you here? Beats the hell out of me. Um, I am. Oh the- come on. <laughs> so I am. I'm a. I'm kind of a former comic, um, and I. I kind of left comedy not too long. I, I say I left comedy, but I'm still doing it here and there. Uh, I'm based in Los Angeles, formerly based in New York. And off and on for the past 15 or so years, I've worked in and out of politics. So I decided uh, not too long ago that comedy is fantastic. I've met great people, yourselves included. Uh, doing it, and and I'm very thankful for that and for that community, but I decided that I'm going to focus my energy on trying to get people out to vote more and canvassing for candidates and just trying to up the energy around elections. You are the sort of guy that, like, uh, you know how you you have some friends that are like, uh, oh, I can name any year of the Oscars and they know who was up for every category and who lost. And yeah. You have always to me been like that person politically where, you know, like hyper specific, like rural, like who's up for comp troller in some <laughs> Southern part of Kansas. And I'm like, you've never even been to that fucking state. How do you do this? Uh, and you've always been this, like in the way that like I get to, uh, as if as if I was a male feminist suddenly playing it, knowing feminism, I get to be like, oh, I was activated by politics in 2015. And now I give a shit about this in this big yeah. way. But like you've always just been this person who has this database of information and you worked on the Clinton campaign back in the day. I volunteered. I volunteered on the Hillary Clinton campaign a ton. That's work. Um, That's work. <laughs> that is work. It's and it's a lot of work. Uh, it, it's as much work as you're willing to take. And and they're willing to give you more and more. Um, <laughs> so I volunteered for Hillary Clinton in late 2007 in New Hampshire. Um, and my mom passed away the day of the New Hampshire prime or the day before the New Hampshire primary oh, wow. in 2008. I never, I never knew that about you. I wish I hadn't brought it up now. That's a fucking hard thing. OK. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Um, it was it was definitely challenging. So she passed away. um in 2008 and so i i couldn't really help with the campaign much after that and that's of course why hillary um did not take the nomination yeah that's on you it's on me it's absolutely (laughs) on me um yeah no i mean that was that was totally my fault but 
Uh, <laughs> but of course, I was thrilled when she decided to run again. It seemed obviously like it was just the natural choice. She, uh, so I, I did what I could on her campaign in 2016 as well. But I was doing a lot of comedy at that point, and I didn't really feel like it was important that I lend my voice uh, as much as I had thought I should before. So clearly, and it's I was wrong. That you were also doing stuff that, like, uh, you've had. I, I wouldn't dare call them like political misfires, but you've tried to start up some things to put your energy into, like a political podcast that was recorded out of Nerdist Studios, and you had uh, for a long time uh, a sort of email newsletter going out weekly on where people could send like five dollars each week. Such a great uh, idea! Campaign. And Viv, Viv wrote it up at the Mary Sue, like uh, where you can send a dollar that it can matter to, to various like small campaigns, and it takes a real political mind to know where that sort of shit should go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I know that you've, you've been looking for where to, to put your heart into this, but I know that you've never pulled your head out of the game in that way. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I tried a few different things. I, I did do the podcast, like you said, because I wanted to talk to fellow comedians about politics um, in the aftermath of that election, because I felt like uh, there, I felt like we as a comedy community focused so much on, what's happening in the world on on a broader scale and we focus on those presidential elections but we don't i mean if you pull comedians off the stage and ask them like who the lieutenant governor of california is most of them are probably not going to know maybe they do now but two years ago <laughs> i think that was a different case and, and and i think having so many people turn their heads and kind of look at politics in a different way in a newly energized way was refreshing but i also found that my comedian friends as the weeks would go on in the trump presidency they i guess you could say they got angrier and had a harder time with their filters hmm. and i had to i had a couple episodes recorded with with two comics that i know and am friends with who said some stuff that was just pretty, really bad. Um, and I thought, there's no way I can actually put this up and host this somewhere because it's going to come Bad back how? All of us. What's that? Bad how? Like, what do you, what, it, what does that mean? Uh, threatening in a way. Oh, Wondering okay. about the mortality of certain politicians. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I do that, but it's usually just in my own head. Oh, sure. I think, you know, yeah. I, I think especially with like the Kavanaugh hearings, we were all kind of wondering if Orrin Hatch was just going to fall over at some point. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> like, we all had Hatch. Oh, yeah. We, we all wonder how Hatch is going to go and can fantasize about it. But that's an inside thought. Yeah. Oh, I just said it out outside. Oops. Uh, well, we can't release this one. <laughs> Yeah, there it is. There it is. But no, I mean, like, it, it, it didn't have anything to do with age. Let me put it that way. <laughs> and it's certainly, you know, the last thing that I would ever want to do is incite violence. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's a positive uprising. I think if we are to, to rise up, that there are peaceful ways to do it in large mass numbers, which is something that we have also started seeing since 2016. That's powerful. Um, seeing a lot of people who didn't think that they would ever take to the streets and protest or ever write or call their member of Congress or their member of their state legislature even and, and advocate their opinion. 
are doing that. They're getting out and they're taking action and they're becoming the type of engaged uh, citizenry that we thought we would have 250 years ago. So that's exciting in, yeah. in a lot of ways. But I did find that through the anger that was coming through on the other side, it was more valuable for me to find outlets that granted me an escape at that point. Um, and I found that Donating money is something that I really enjoy. And Viv, thank you for writing <laughs> uh, writing the newsletter up when I did it. Oh, yeah. Um, I did it and it um, and it kind of it did kind of fizzle out after a couple months. Um, but I still donate a lot of small donations and put that on social media, share it on Twitter, share it everywhere. And I've heard more from friends from doing that than I did from the newsletter, um, which I thought was interesting because I would just say, hey, like donate to Kirsten Cinema in Arizona. And they would be like, okay, great. But then I would do a write-up and say, <laughs> here's why. And they like wouldn't read it. Right. You know? What do you think? What? Oh, sorry. Keep going. No, no. What were you going to say? I, I'm wondering what you think about um, because I, I did really love that newsletter. The idea of just like, you know, to have a voice that you trust say this is where your money should go is really important. And I feel like um, there are some other groups now doing that. Like Emily's List uh, is a great one, and the I can't remember what the group or group of groups is called, but the ones that are uh, pledging money to the opponent of whatever, like, senators or whoever, you know, votes, like, for Kavanaugh or if your representative we votes like this. We yeah. against Collins right now. Yeah. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that, about that idea? Yeah, to, I think... To I, fund opponents of things. You know, I think that there are, a, there are, like you mentioned, those groups that are out there. Emily's List is always talking about women that you can get behind throughout the country uh, who they back. Hillary Clinton is doing that as well because mm. she started not long after the election, she started Onward Together, which is a pack that takes funds and kind of farms them out to groups that are doing the work that you would think like the DNC or the DCCC used to do in promoting candidates throughout the country who are progressive and democratic. Um, so I find that there are a lot of groups out there doing the work. The guys at Crooked Media, and I know you you guys are very familiar mm -hmm. with them, but they um, no <laughs> no who who are they? What they um, <laughs> no, but they through Vote Save America and through obviously their mm -hmm. podcasting platform, they are always talking about people who you should just go give money to, and it's usually based on what's happening in the news. You know if. Uh, if Ted Cruz does something stupid, it's an easy thing to turn around and say, go donate to Beto O'Rourke in Texas and, mm -hmm. and try to unseat him. Um, it was uh, revealed tonight uh, through somebody actually finding this on Instagram. Uh, but uh, the uh, the crooked guys are filming a documentary about Beto versus Ted right now. Wow. <laughs> like, oh, that's that. going to be. Uh, yeah, it's it, they have an Instagram account that they accidentally tagged like a person in and it, it went from like a hundred followers to like a thousand followers oh, in an wow. hour. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see that. I want to, but I also want to see it because I want it to be fucking done. Yeah. I want to be watching yeah. that movie at the end of it tomorrow and doing my fucking parade around the living room of 
of we won and he got embarrassed, yeah. but that's months away. And then right. It's only, yeah. The election itself, five weeks feels like an eternity and also so soon. Uh, Where, but it, I mean, what, what, you're, what you're saying is, is so interesting because I feel like I haven't heard the word PAC or the acronym PAC said in so long because like when we think PAC, I feel like most people immediately think super PAC and like, yeah. that's bad. But I, I never, I like, I forgot that that was even the word to describe, you know, this, this thing that could be used for positive change to like pool our money together to fund, you know, candidates. Well, yeah, that, now that, now that cor- corporations have free speech, like they don't need the super PACs anymore. Is that maybe why that But they co-opted that term. Right. Like I, I, you said PAC and I was like, we don't support PACs. And I was like, oh no, wait, it's not, <laughs> right. it's not a dirty word. Stephen Colbert had one of those. Yeah. I believe it can be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it really isn't. I mean, that's an interesting point too. I, it really isn't a dirty word as much yeah. as we think it is. Cause here's the thing. It takes fundraising to win a race it takes money and it doesn't take sometimes and we're seeing this more often in the past like year and a half it takes more action than it does money because you're seeing candidates who aren't as well funded as the people they unseat doing the unseating like uh, a woman i i got to know a little bit back in massachusetts and did some fundraising for back in 2009 ayanna presley she she was the first black woman on the Boston City Council, um, mm. an amazing person, and she decided to challenge a Democratic incumbent for Congress in Massachusetts in the primary. And I remember reading that, and I've been away from Massachusetts politics for about nine years now, since that time, since I was very involved back in like 2008, 2009. And... Um, and it was just interesting to see that this person who I remember running for Boston City Council is now challenging a congressman. And I thought, that's that can't go well. That's not going to be good. <laughs> and not only did she, so she was never as well funded as as Congressman Mike Capuano, who she ran against, is never as well funded as he was. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but she ended up trouncing him by about 20 points. In the primary hmm. never thought she was going to pull it off and i talked to my friends back there and i was like hey vote for ayana i know she's really good he's more representative of the district that that then mike capuano is and i think she would be really good mike capuano is good as well but vote for her and they would be like yeah sure totally and i was like oh man she might be an apple. she wasn't she won by 20 points <laughs> wow. and it was because she had a powerful team she had good people but bringing it back to the PAC thing, it takes money. So without some kind of money, you don't have that team. You don't. You can't assemble those passionate people, and you can't mobilize them. So in our current climate, until we do something about that, and who knows when we can, we do have to give money. And for those of us who are who are millennials or who you know, are, are working very hard and we don't make that much money. A $5 donation means a lot because that's the, that's the kind of donation that is fueling campaigns. Jonathan, question. Can I donate an avocado toast? Is one part of an <laughs> avocado toast going to help Sharice Davids beat Kevin Yoder? Is, I'll take my answer off air. What's funny is that it's almost like the, the uh, it's almost like the Sally Struthers, um, 
donate to children abroad program where you would be like, wow, really only $1 a day can feed a child. Uh, that <laughs> Wow, Sally Struthers, I had no idea. And it's like, yes, it can. That money goes a long way, but it costs $13 to get an avocado toast. So instead, take a fraction of that avocado toast and send it to a campaign and they can use that they can use that money in order to pay the rent on their headquarters or to print more uh, campaign signs because those still work. Seeing someone's name works with voters. Visibility works. I really, I really want to see the Sally Strathers recreate those ads, but for like a dollar a day, you can support a socialist that wants to dismantle ICE. <laughs> Just as tearful, though. Just as tearful, yeah. like exact same That's... quality of like film. Well, Sally Strathers... She was cheerful in the mail away college ads that she did where she was like, do you want to make more money? Sure. We all do. That's why <laughs> you can study TV, VCR repair, computer programming. Like she was very upbeat in that world. But when it came to the children, she had a more somber tone. So I think she could take a more somber tone <laughs> and we would associate uh, that with needing to take action. Because this is, this is one of those breaks from the, the political side where I want to acknowledge that Jonathan hosted the absolute best storytelling show I've ever been a part of. Uh, and in fact, one of the only nights that Viv worked uh, Oh, my, Lyft, br my brief stint as a Lyft driver, yeah. She actually picked up people from this show and uh, they talked about my performance they on this and she was so like, much. that's my new boyfriend. Uh, would you explain the episode of Unsolved Mysteries that we had to talk about that night? Because I, I try to describe it to people all the time and you can't find the episode. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that, Viv, while you were driving Lyft and, uh, and, and you heard this information about your new boyfriend, I'd really like to believe that that had a hand in how now you are married. So Yeah, yeah probably maybe. exaggerated. We've been together for like a year I think. And so <laughs> uh, the the guys in the car were like, okay, maybe Brock you were, his... maybe you were. Well, and we're just Brock making talks it about his exes in, in making that. It new. But maybe it was that night and that you said, I think I might it was definitely, it was Who that knows? night I don't for know. sure. Yeah. But the, uh, these guys in the, in the lift were like, they were so horrified that, that, uh, Tash oh, I'm sorry. You disappeared about his exes. The, these guys in the lift were so like horrified that they had to tell me that Brock had talked about his exes on your storytelling show. And I was like, I have been with him for like a year and we are adult people. I know that he has ex-girlfriends that he has stories about. You should have been yeah. like, I've had exes too and just destroyed them. Yeah. No, I just started crying like oh, Sally no. Struthers in Feed the Children. For a dollar a yeah. day, your husband can have no exes. But to your point, yes, that was the day that I decided to propose. So would you describe the the episode of Unsolved oh. Mysteries that you went through? Because I've I've had to yeah. retell this story to people over the years, and I, I love it so very much. <laughs> Absolutely. I um, So one of the, as you mentioned, one of the things that I did was post a storytelling show. And we have since turned it, sort of turned it into a podcast uh, called A Special Presentation. David Crabb and I have been hosting that for just over a year now. And we basically talk about classic television, classic meaning just not airing new episodes anymore. So we've touched on a lot of different uh, topics from the 1950s on uh, up until shows that recently stopped airing. So uh, one of the things that we love doing on our podcast and one of the things that we loved showcasing in the live show 
was the program Unsolved Mysteries, uh, which you can find now on Amazon Prime, all of those old episodes hosted by Robert Stack. Um, and if you grew up in the 80s and 90s like I did, it's a scary, it's a scary show, right? Like mm-hmm. the music, the the recreations, the grainy Robert about, Stack. They talk about Stack. satanic panic, a very real thing that existed. <laughs> right. There are so many things that you learned <laughs> by watching Unsolved Mysteries that you thought, well, mm-hmm. I thought that I was living a very safe existence in my suburban home, and apparently that's not the case. So <laughs> we, so you can catch pretty much all of the episodes on Amazon Prime now. Um, all of the old Robert Stack episodes re just you know cleaned up and and put out there for consumption, but. The guys who, and I say guys, the company who took over the rights to Unsolved Mysteries had to go through and not only digitally remaster it and make it a higher quality for for streaming, but they had to pull segments out that were no longer, that you couldn't air because of statute of limitations or because of legal, any other kind of legal issue. This is one of those segments. And it's a segment that I always thought was hysterical, even when I was a little kid. It's offensive and hysterical. But there was a department store in the 1980s in Georgia, and they were a brand new, a brand new department store, and they were trying to hire people. And back in the in the late 80s, like you could get hired for anything. The unemployment rate was apparently very low. <laughs> Um, Reagan. Thank, yeah, hey, Reagan, it trickles down, I guess. So <laughs> the so the unemployment rate, extremely low. They were hiring whoever they could get, and they had this woman who came in. She presented really well, but they kept calling her, like, eccentric, and she had, like, some so many eccentricities about her. And flash forward to a couple months later they gave her all this responsibility because she really proved herself and one night she made away with all the money and they never saw her again like they were like we thought it was unusual that bonnie's her name was bonnie that bonnie's purse was so like heavy and she got into a taxi and just like took off after work because she took all the money from the safe and she just walked out with it. And you're and they interview all the people who are involved in the case. They interview the HR woman who hired her. They interview other people at the department store. And what becomes very clear right away is that they're angry because she took the money, but they're angrier because she's obese. Like, oh they're angrier because she's a large person, and they make so many the, jokes. The, the woman that they get to do the, re, the recreation of it, like, leans into it so hard. Like, I, and I'm, I'm sure she didn't get that many acting gigs, but, like, uh, if, if she had a chance to now be on, like, American Horror Story or something where she could do that level of, like, fucking sass, oh, my God, she would be in everything. In this recreation, she's just so incredible, and they just keep cutting away to the actual people. They're like... Well, I thought I could trust her because she was fat. And you're like, what is yeah. this? There was a <laughs> woman. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there was a woman who said that um, you'd think looking at her, she looks so kind. You'd think she'd work 
driving a school bus or something and it was like i don't how i don't know how i don't um so it is it's the only crime recreation i've ever seen where i was just like i think that everyone else here should actually be in jail for being (laughs) like a shitty person like a weekend in jail for like everything that they've said oh absolutely i mean and when you watch some of these i mean they're they're at this point 30 years old and you watch some of these mysteries and you watch some of the things that people say when they're being interviewed and you're like, dear Lord, I don't think, I don't, I don't think that that's, I, I don't understand, you know, like I, this is a world that I did not understand. And you realize actually how far we've come in just a couple of decades. Um, what, I, what I love so much about your show that <laughs> night was that you guys had actually gone to Reddit where of course people have been following this for decades And it turns out that this woman did this dozens upon dozens of times at other stores and was eventually caught and served like a very small amount of time. But more often than not, people were like, ah, it's just it would be too much trouble to try and prosecute her. But she's out now and she's on Facebook. Like you can just reach out to her and be like, hey, what's up? (laughs) I sent her a friend request, but she never she never accepted that's our unsolved mystery is when she will eventually have a glass of wine and write back to you. Yeah. Where is she now? What is she doing now? Why won't she <laughs> accept my friend request? Am I, do I look friendly enough? I don't know. Um, so, so yeah, so it really did highlight just kind of how much things have changed in, in the past couple of decades. And I think that's a very important note. Speaking of how things change, uh, and this this feels like something that, you know, you're on top of everything. And like, again, as I've said before, like, you just know, like minor laws passing through House legislatures somewhere. And I know we've gone through a change, obviously, in the last two years where things have moved backwards. But there's also this weird sort of other goalpost change that I, w- I would really like to know what your perspective is on it, because it feels like around the end of like the Obama years, uh like lgbtq legal stuff you know we we got like you know marriage is legal and and then there's all these court cases on stuff and then sort of like some of the peak stuff that's left at that the end of that time is like is the owner of chick-fil-a a huge piece of shit uh yeah. and but there's there's stuff that that really gets into like well should the military defend this thing should these things happen uh and now the goal post the goal posts for for the gay community are are all over the place. It's like, mm-hmm. well, he's trying to say that trans people can't serve in the military, but none of the generals will do that. And we just announced yesterday that we're not going to let uh, same-sex uh, marriage people from, like, UN ambassadors into the country anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. and there's all that. So is it is it weird to think about how, like, there, there are no clear goalposts right now because things just move forward and backward all the time for that community? Well, yeah, yeah. I think that I, I actually got into a debate on a panel show at UCB uh, before the 2016 election with a gay Republican who now I want to go back, find, and like scream at him. Um, but he was like, don't worry. Nobody's going to take anything away from you. Nobody wants to take your marriage away. And I and I, I think my response is something like, well, I'm not ever getting married anyway so that doesn't friggin' matter um you know because i'm just like very very if i if i haven't been divorced twice by now i'm not going to be um so 
a little thing in my heart just exploded where I I don't want you to be married, but I do wish you had a divorce by now. I feel like that that yeah. fits with your brand. Uh, it does. Way. No, you're very right. I've I have had um, <laughs> I have had three lengthy relationships that ended with like having to split things like property and uh, stuff. So it's close, but there's no legally binding <laughs> binding contract in the in the relationship itself. Anyway, um, so. You know, it just it angered me, though, because I thought that that took a certain level of just naivete to think that that was the only thing that was on the line. And it's that that they're not coming after marriage equality really on any grand sweeping level right now, but that there are other indignities that they are kind of launching and they're trying to they're trying to hurt the trans community that was actually one of the big uh measures that they took early on and we fought them the aclu fought them um activist groups fought them and there were protests there were letters there were you know i mean it's the type of thing that we used our voice and the result was positive because they couldn't do that. Um, but that's not always the case. And there are little things that they can do to, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if their goal is to erode our rights in the LGBT community, but I do think that they are trying to poke the bear. I think that they're trying to do things that will hurt people on purpose in order to to just appease their base to look good to their christian base a and lot of them do seem like bully tactics like to like even if they're some of them seem aimless but just to make sure like everyone knows that they're not going to give up their power that quickly Right. Like so you mean and, and his his base, yeah. Yeah, like you mean like oh hey guys, we're still doing this awful like, thing because we're still here. Give us money. We're still in charge. Yeah. Yeah, we're still in charge. Give us some money. Donate to us. I do. Yeah, I think that that's kind of one of the mo's. Is like mm -hmm. is like they want to assert their power. I mean, you think of Donald Trump, and you just think of some dumb oaf who is just trying to show you he's like a he's like an ape that's just pounding his chest he's trying to assert dominance mm -hmm. to show you that he's the king of this jungle whether and there's no logic or reason that goes into that you know like there's no yeah. legal nuance there's no benefiting society on a greater level there's no yeah. saying you know what we might get pushback and some lawsuits and this is unconstitutional there's just none of it and um and, you know and, and sorry, it does frighten me to think that he's putting another conservative justice on the supreme court mm -hmm. and that he's packed other courts other federal benches throughout the the u.s with people who believe in some of the more extreme policies that he believes. Um, and that's unsettling. If he even believes them. Like he just, I don't know. Does he even have no. beliefs? 
Thank you for correct. Actually, no. Thank you for correcting me on that, Viv, yeah. because he doesn't. He just You're right. In being in charge and on top, and and you know, if there's a sycophant under him or a base that like wants to push someone else down farther, like you know, bathroom bills or anti-gay legislation or uh, let's finally outlaw abortion again or whatever, like, oh, he's happy to do it. But I don't think he has any beliefs himself. And, and Bill's, yeah. Bibbs is a thousand percent right. It is this sort of thing that, like, the judges and all the appellate court judges uh, seem to be the thing that Republicans have agreed on. Like, as long as we get that, you get to keep doing yeah. whatever you want in oh, your imaginary Trump, playpen. Trump doesn't sure. have knowledge of, like, what what judges should be on his short list. He didn't come up with a list himself. <laughs> right. No, this is just supported by sycophants that are keeping themselves in his good graces so that they get to push these things that they want. Well, it was such a transparent uh, discovery in a way to see the list that he the short list that he came out with to see mm-hmm. that he nominated Kavanaugh, just to see how he's acting about this and how the Republican party's acting because it, proves that he is nothing but a rubber stamp. That's it. But yeah. Kavanaugh wasn't even on that first Federalist yeah. like list, which no. is still the, the part of it that's like, come on, Not come on. Not till he said like, oh, I just don't think president should be investigated for crimes. Oh. Like, oh, right. That guy seems interesting. Right. That guy seems interesting. <laughs> I don't know what it is about him, but uh, he... No, but you're right. You're right. Jib. He... Yeah, <laughs> he popped up because of his extreme views on broad presidential power. But then the, mm-hmm. the excuse me, the Heritage Society was like, yeah, you know what? He's on the list now <laughs> because yeah. they want to protect him. Well, like they're, they're the interest is in protecting its rubber stamp because the Republican Party has seen a drop in registered voters, whereas well, the Democratic like Party has seen. Off. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I said it's almost like they're all dying off or something. Yeah. I mean, it's it's dropping. It's falling. The numbers are falling for them. They're appealing to fewer independents throughout the country. There are still places mm-hmm. uh, throughout the country that I worry about. Like, you guys are actually in a state that I kind of worry about with the race with Claire McCaskill. Um, yeah. I worry about Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota. I really... I knock on wood and light candles that she's going to win, but I really don't think she's going to because she's pulling just so far behind uh, her opponent. And, you know, there are places where his, uh, the cult of Donald Trump is becoming stronger and becoming a little bit more resolute because of the things that he's doing and because of the resistance and the pushback. So they're getting stronger by that. But those areas are, in the grand scheme of the rest of the country, smaller. And you have more districts and you have more states that are becoming bluer in response to Trump. And so Mm -hmm. the lawmakers on the Republican side and the Heritage Foundation and all of these, these Republican groups are seeing that they're not going to have much of an opportunity to advance such a terrible agenda. And this is kind of their last chance and you can tell that there's desperation and for what it's worth i don't i don't really believe that we'll retake the senate in november um i i think that we're probably going to be in a very similar position that we're in right now but if we retake the house and i'm hoping that we do uh with enough hard work and enough people out voting that is going to significantly change the scope of power that he has and it's going to change how government 
functions for the next uh, two years after after people are sworn in on January 3rd. If it's January 3rd, I think it is. How do you feel um, optimism-wise about voter turnout for the midterms? Because like you said, like people are more knowledgeable and and more impassioned than than they probably ever have been before like i don't know how many people have known the name of the secretary of education under the last few presidents like (laughs) we just have a level of knowledge that we didn't have before and there's you know there are some things to be criticized there about how politics is viewed as entertainment and that kind of got us where we are now but anyway yeah. getting away from that so um, you're are you like, trying to tell me that arnie duncan didn't pull in the crowds that other that <laughs> other secretaries of education possibly could have i'm going to assume that that is the name of a previous secretary of education because oh even God. even yeah. though I write oh I write about politics now like it is my job but I stumbled into this job and I'm learning as I go like I was not I was not you like I was not always a political person and I am one of the people that uh, suddenly finds myself like caring way more about this stuff than I ever thought I could possibly do. I think we all know that before Scott Pruitt, everyone carried about EPA <laughs> chief <laughs> Prot screw it. Mm. No, I was <laughs> somewhat better at his it, job somehow. It, yeah. it, it just it seems like uh I knew so many voters going into twenty sixteen that said like, oh it doesn't really matter who's president, they can't do anything. And now we're seeing There are structures in place. No, yeah. stop that. And now we're seeing that that's not true. Like both I mean Maybe it could be different if we had contr- if Democrats had control of the House or the Senate, but like the the president still does have a shit ton of powers that uh, I think mean, people <laughs> were like willingly obtuse and naive about. Uh, but now now it seems like we've switched over to people being so hyper aware that I think there's like a different loss of scope. But but anyway, mm-hmm. I, I still know, like despite the fact that we all seem to be so hyper aware, I still know far too many people that think all of our bets need to be hedged on 2020 and yeah. not care about 2018 at all. And I something came up today that I was like, oh, I love talking about things that I'm embarrassed <laughs> about myself. I have to admit this on the podcast. I I have been focused on 2018, but I didn't realize until I got a mailer in the mail, the actual mail today, which Brock and I talk about how wasteful that is to send out like actual mail. And guess what? It worked because I didn't know until today that I didn't actually know the name of my state representative. And then I got a mailer for her and I was like, Judy Morgan is the shit. Like she sent yeah. out a mailer uh, with, uh, every of, of course you of course you know who Judy is. Yeah, of course, of course you know. Um, no, you know like what neighborhood we're in because that's how your brain works. We know you. She <laughs> sent out a, a, a mailer with every piece of legislation that has been voted on uh, this this year and whether it passed or didn't and how she voted or or uh, whether she voted for it or against it. And which is fucking baller. What a baller is, way to stand by every choice you made. It is one of the best pieces of mail I've ever received. And I was so embarrassed that, like, I've been focused on, I mean, uh, even, di- even like, districts around us. Like, I've been focused more on Sharice Davids than on knowing who Judy Morgan is. Yeah. And, 
What? And oh, Shree Savitz isn't in our district, by the way. Like, not everyone listening knows that. Um, right. <laughs> but just realizing that, like, even for those of us focused on, like, I keep telling people don't focus on 2020, focus on 2018. And then I realized that, like, I don't even know all of the races that matter to me. I don't know the name of the woman that's representing me. Uh, and I think, like, oh, well, I'll give myself some credit. Like, we just moved here a year ago. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, did I know the name of my state representative <laughs> in Los Angeles or San Francisco where I lived before that? Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you, yeah. Yeah. you might be a good example of this because I, I keep thinking, like, well, I keep thinking I'm hyper aware, but I can always be more aware. And, like, what's the end goal? And I realize, like, I think you're the end goal. You, and, and you <laughs> you're are my the hero, end goal that's what I'm saying. You, you started your political thing in in a different state on a different coast and then you were a part of a, a bunch of very small east coast states and then when you got to california you get to bring that same thing over where you're like i actually pay attention to this stuff and you were activated long before any of the rest of us uh and it you, you are a point to shoot for here well How guys exhausting and, is that yeah no i <laughs> <laughs> i always love when people ask how exhausting it is to be me um because it but no it's true it it's exhausting yeah. it's more than a bird jonathan's exhausting well no it, it, it is i i really wish that there could be times when i could just relax and not think about all of the implications of what happens if we don't do well in the midterms in a few weeks are you um, happy that we're all in your world now at least oh yeah God, no so i uh, no no i am i've been all alone I, here i, I <laughs> I don't I don't think of the level of political engagement and involvement that you guys are describing. I don't think of that as a negative at all. I think that what is happening is quite a negative. And I'll never agree with Susan Sarandon <laughs> um, nope. on nope. many things, nope. many things, really, um, including her portrayal of Betty Davis. I was like, can somebody let her know that she's playing <laughs> Betty Davis for fuck's sake? But um, I do agree that something woke up in people when they started to see not only that Trump was president, but they started to look around and they started to see that there's a group of Republicans who are far older than most other elected officials or that most other elected officials should be who are making decisions that are enabling his behavior and then they're seeing the policy implications and they're seeing that it actually does matter because to your point, there were a lot of people that I knew in 2016 who thought, who does it? Who cares? Whoever is president, nothing's going to change. And the lesser of two evils. I'm sorry? Oh, like the lesser of two evils thing, which gets yeah, Which I, I do not think is a valid argument at all. Me neither. Uh, and Hillary I, Clinton also had people killed. So. Yeah, and, and which is, I, I just can't even have that conversation. It's Yeah, let's it's move maddening. away from that. But, mm -hmm. yeah. but, you know. What did you say? He said it's maddening. Oh, I thought oh, you me. said it's mellowing. I was like, okay, oh, you're like calm places. Yeah. Like, no. yeah, yeah. Oh At God, no! Got to kill some people before she was out. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's actually kind of kind of zen to kill some staffers. <laughs> um, no. Oh my God, buddy. <laughs> I no. I it, it is it's maddening to have that to have someone actually come to you and say that and say this is you know this is a belief that I have. Mm -hmm. And you can't argue with that because it is just so 
false and far-fetched crazy that there isn't much to say. But what I'll say is that people are engaged on a level that they haven't been engaged before, and they care on the level that they should care. People should actually care about the elections that are happening in their neighborhoods. And now you're saying that you're concerned with the larger scope of things, so the smaller stuff isn't really hitting your radar. But to that end, I'll say that there are a lot of people I know throughout the country who, yeah, they're focused on 2020 and they're, and they're looking forward to getting Donald Trump out of office, if that's a possibility at that point. But they are also, they know that they have to vote in 2018, but maybe they just haven't looked into who's running, but they're going to, and they're going to ask. Right. And there are a lot of people who closer to the election say, all right, I need to know who to vote for. And I'm seeing those, those, people in my networks, those numbers of people increase dramatically. And I know that that's a heartening thing because yes, I am from a blue state. I lived in another blue state and then moved to the bluest of the blue states. Mm -hmm. So those are the people I surround myself with. Well, let's not call California the bluest of the blue states. <laughs> uh, well, that's true because... Los Angeles <laughs> is the bluest of the blue. Yeah. Los Angeles is... Yeah, storm. exactly. Los Angeles is far bluer than, say, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts as a whole. And that's where I live. And the population is enormous. So it really is does feel kind of like I'm swimming in a sea of Democrats. Uh, even though, you know, we are the home of Dana Rohrbacher and Devin Nunez. Um, so it's not all good. But, oh, I you know, Devin Nunez existed. But there, yeah, oh, here's a reminder. He exists. For just and... a moment. For just a moment, I forgot. He's uh, the Paul Revere of being a piece of shit. <laughs> well, I thought Paul Ryan was the Paul Revere of being a piece of shit. Paul Ryan never ran with anything. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's just... Um, yeah, we're at we're at a point where I do think that despite being surrounded by by people who are engaged regularly, that even more people are getting engaged on a very vocal level. And and, and no one said it yet, and I think it will will deserve some credit. I hope uh, post midterms, uh, but uh, it it came up earlier. Uh, crooked media engages like ninety percent with women and mostly white women uh and everything i've read about engagement in the last few months about the midterms has been about white women suddenly becoming involved in politics in this way which i feel like that is the shift uh that cancels out or moves away from the white women that made trump possible uh and, and i'm sure there's gonna have to be some numbers and it's all over the place on that but i'm like oh it took podcasts it took uh, podcasts and things like that yeah the only yeah. thing i i just want to I, <laughs> as a white woman i just want to say like please don't put your faith in us because, uh, <laughs> i i i, no. I think that, that i just want to say that that sounds super problematic because the the women that were are listening to pod save america we're already list wanting to listen to pod save america like i don't know how many trump voting like the 53% of white women that voted for Trump. I don't know how many of them are big, like, John Lovett fans now. Uh, that uh, I'm just going to say, like, speaking on behalf of the 47% of us that are less garbage, um, we 
we that that's not no don't 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 look to us to be the savior of. i feel like it came from a thing a week or two ago about women that had not considered themselves political like a year or two ago and that's fine i I was like oh that feels like it's it's part of the same group that's fine i just don't think that we can say like white women are gonna be our savior this election like no Uh, that's what i was saying no one said it yet but like i feel like it well you seem to be saying and i'm just gonna say like don't be the one to say it, because I don't think it's right. I like the way you're saying it. Like, don't give us credit, because we, we might not. No, nope, most yeah. of us. That's at, least, at least, like, maybe, like, top 51, 51%. Like, maybe we won over 2%, but probably not. Like, please don't talk about how white women are going to save 2018. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, no, it's... At, at best, we can start listening to women of color, who have always been voting the way that, like... We want to think white women would vote. Like, oh, absolutely. And who are standing yeah. up at, you know, standing up at, at in higher numbers than ever. And you saw that in Alabama yeah. with Doug Jones. Like, yeah. you know, there are women, women of color, people of color are all, you know, very or seemingly a lot are very energized. And I yes. think that that is more, far more helpful than white women. But you know, not all white women are bad. I'd love, I'd love to think that my people are going to be turned around, but uh, my people. Well, well I I mean, like it or not, they're that's. I I do think like, take take a look at your people, um, uh, on uh, kind of hone in a little bit, and white women under forty are probably coming out in stronger numbers for Trump. There's, uh, not for Trump, oh my God, Uh, coming out in stronger numbers for Democrats is what I meant to say. They are, they, I I think that if you take a look at those numbers, it might be more interesting. There's actually an organization called Civics with a Q, C-I-V-I-Q-S dot com. And their method of polling is something that I don't necessarily agree with, but they, they got a very, very large sample of voters um, from across the country, and they regularly pull them through an internet browser poll. So they'll send them an email and say there's a new poll awaiting, um, and you answer the poll, and once they have sufficient numbers that match the demographics of the electorate, then they are able to report those figures. So of course, since you can, as you can imagine, um, those numbers have been somewhat steady, but you can focus in on, if you take a look at their results, you can focus in on uh, presidential approval or general congressional vote for uh, white women under 35 or between 18 and 35. And you come up with uh, an overwhelming number of those people disapproving. Now you change that to black women, 18 to 35, and the approval numbers for Donald Trump, I think, are somewhere around like 4%. And that yeah. significantly changes from like the 20 or or 30% that, that it was with white women. But that's still a stronger number than if you looked at white women who are over 50. And, and you can focus on some of the other metrics too, like their education, um, you know, whether or not they or where they're located, things like that. And you can kind of see how that changes. But broadly speaking, um, voters who are of the millennial generation as we are, like the under the 37 and under crowd are 
much more liberal and much more activated and we are the larger voting block. So we just have to turn out. We just have to be there. And if we're there and we're doing it and we show up, there's going to be a change. Yeah. Old people have nothing else to do but vote. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as I learned this morning, some of them will volunteer at a grade school uh, to help you teach kids to read. Really? I showed I showed up at a grade school. I, I started a program today that uh, teaches uh, urban kids how to read because our schools aren't. Um, and it was me and a lot of women that were retired. And it's like, oh, hello, guy yeah. that doesn't belong here. You, you're in the right place. He's like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh Gonna gonna hit a couple of things real fast, and then we'll we'll wrap this up. Um, Kavanaugh hearings. Mm. What were your thoughts? Pro or con? Pro, <laughs> Pro oh or anti? <laughs> I don't know. You said real fast. Yeah, yeah, real fast. I meant like in the next twenty minutes. But sure. Oh my god. Wait, I didn't even hear Viv because my audio is is messed up. Oh, I said pro or con? Pro or anti? <laughs> oh. Concept of the Kavanaugh hearings. Yeah. Pro or anti the Kavanaugh hearings? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Lightning okay. round. Okay. Lightning round. Lightning round. I can't answer that that beach quickly. Week. Uh, beach week. Listen, I'm pro beach pro week, but if it involves. Okay. Ding. If... Next question. Ding. <laughs> no, if that involves, I assume you're going to say. No, I would say I, I'm pro beach week, but if it involves, uh, you know. Um, Drinking to excess to the point of vomiting and then maybe potentially raping. Um, that is not a good beach week. Um, I, <laughs> That's not my, not my beach week. I, I watched, oh my God. I watched these hearings and I was never more upset. It, it, I think somebody, it actually tipped. that day said the thing. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I think it actually tipped the scales for me in terms of how low I think we've gone. Um, the Kavanaugh here, the, the hearings in general were a parody of what democracy is supposed to be. You have accusations from a very credible individual comes forward and says, I wanted to do my civic duty and I wanted to say that this thing happened to me. And I was sexually assaulted when I was a teenager and I never talked about it and I never told people about it. And whenever I see somebody say, well, why wouldn't you just say something? I, it, it fills me with, with rage, first of all, but it's always an interesting conversation when I say, well, I was in those shoes at a point in the nineties when I was 15 years old. And I couldn't say anything because it would, you know, obviously my circumstances are very different from Dr. Ford's, very different from, from most women who encounter um, that kind of assault as well. But I couldn't say anything because it would out me at a young age when that was not as acceptable as it is now and people weren't as open to it. But it's always a battle of words. It's always a battle of this thing happened to me and people are more inclined to believe that it actually didn't than it actually did. And 
here you have someone who is saying this, he's saying this, this happened to me. And there are so many people who are so quick to dismiss her for absolutely no reason. Well, I mean, we know the reason why they're dismissing her. Um, they're just garbage. But <laughs> they, the fact that they won't even hear her, it's like nobody learned anything from Anita Hill. Or if they did, they're just ignoring it because they really have an agenda to push through. And for whatever reason, it's this guy. It's not any other conservative justice or conservative future justice or conservative judge that they can elevate. It's this guy. And I still don't know why that is. Um, it's upsetting. I think it's disgusting. And I want to wake up and have it all be over, but I really don't want him on the court. So there you go. Lightning round. That's, that's, yeah, it, it, it seems like so much of it is, yeah, why does it have to be this justice? And so much of it seems like, I don't know, to me that they're so scared that they would have to back down on something because then what kind of like weakness does that show or whatever? Like when I think of what the reasoning can be, the fact that everyone is painting this as like a Democrat attack, like we just wanted to find any reason to not confirm him rather than like viewing this as an actually valid reason it, it just everything has to be painted as being so partisan that it's only about winning or losing Republicans yeah. winning or losing Democrats winning or losing and so now that they've put this ball into court they win or they lose and and there's no nuance there and so they have to Orrin Hatch has to yell about this being hell for his five minutes yeah uh, I can't think of any other reason other than just if if they viewed Dr. Ford as a person and Kavanaugh as a person who is fallible, that they view that as having to admit defeat, and that is worse than anything else. And so they have just dehumanized both Ford and Kavanaugh to a disgusting degree. Oh, yeah. And I think, I actually think that if you take the Republican senators and their actions away from all of this, that it would be bad. It's still bad, but it wouldn't be as bad as it is. You know, mm. I think I, I, I'm not going to defend Brett Kavanaugh. However, Thank you. <laughs> however, that's, that's such a weird however, yeah. man. I, I, I trust yeah. you. Oh my god! How many people who commit that level of um, of sexual assault thirty five years ago before they realized that it could be categorized as such did so and realized that they did something bad? You know, I I think that he thinks he did nothing wrong. And I think that has more to do with his moral compass and how it's situated versus him actually thinking that he did something wrong and lying about that particular piece. Yeah. There are a lot uh, of, I, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, I wrote a, I wrote a piece just yesterday um, about how there is that like people, 
people view this as like either he's lying or she's lying, but there is this third theory that has been floated. I mean, there are a bunch of theories that have been floating around, but that like self hypnotism. Yeah, there is this idea that like maybe he believes what he's saying that he didn't do anything wrong because uh, the piece that I wrote was about the and this has been spoken by some other people like Love It or Leave It did a really great segment on the 80s movies that Kavanaugh cited in his right. testimony yeah and how those must have shaped his and his friends and a lot of his peers ideas of what is sex and what how to value women and what is assault and and, you know, a lot of people think of these things as just movies, but they're not. They do shape our our frames of mind. And so going over, like, all of the instances of sexual assault in Animal House, which he cited as defining, as shaping his worldview. Like, yeah. there, there, is, there is this idea that also not in addition to that, I, Brett Kavanaugh and Trump and all of these men, of this age uh, talk about fairness. And I get that they must think that this is super unfair because like you said, they, I don't know, the rules changed. Like yeah. they, grew, they grew up thinking that these were things, if, if what Dr. Ford said happened and that Brett Kavanaugh was the one to assault her, which, which I believe, but like even if that happened, um, that wasn't supposed to, from Brett Kavanaugh's view and so many men like him, that was, and women, you know, his, I don't know, his parents, both, I assume, yeah. like, that was not supposed to be something that mattered. That was not supposed to be something that could prevent him from becoming a Supreme Court justice or president or whatever he wanted to be at that age. That was at most supposed to be a learning experience for him. Uh, yeah. That was something that boys did, boys being boys. And so I get the unfairness thing. Like I genu when they call, when they call this unfair, I genuinely believe that they believe that. I don't think they're right, but I believe that they think that the rules changed under their feet and that that is unfair. And yeah, the no, the fact I, that they believe that is gross, but I, I believe, right. they believe it. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with you there. I absolutely do. They, the rules have changed. We're not looking for, we're not looking to elevate someone onto the Supreme court in 1983. We're looking to do that in 2018 and, and, and going forward. And that has changed. And I think there are a lot of people who see who are older than we are who see that those things happened and they they grew up in a time when that was acceptable and they're like well we can't go back and change the rules then and it's like no we can't but we can change the rules now and that's what we're actively trying to do and is that process going to be a little ugly yes it is because there are a lot of people who are going to be denied opportunities because they did something that they didn't perceive as wrong a couple decades ago, but it's wrong and it will continue to yeah. be wrong. Uh, yeah, and, so and we have to hold that people, standard. Yeah. When people like Trump say, you know, this is a terrible time for men, men are having it so hard. Like Trump yes, yesterday said, like, it's a scary time for men. And when asked about women, he said, women are doing fine. And in a way, 
that's almost true because women are playing by the same rules. Yeah. In that, like, these are the things that have happened, except now we're either being listened to more or we're being expected to speak up more. Which yeah. Is incredibly difficult and a, a burden that shouldn't be placed on women. Right. But I get, I get what Trump is saying. He's fucking wrong. But I get <laughs> oh, what he's, he's totally it's wrong. A hard, it's a hard. Yeah, he's totally wrong. But it is a hard time for men. Because their rules have changed, and that must be really hard for them, I say, incredibly sarcastically. Because yeah. fuck them, I don't care if it's hard. Yeah. They're finally, they're, it's finally a more, it's not even, it's not level, but it is a slightly more level playing field, and they don't know what to do with that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think change that terminology a little bit, and, and mm -hmm. we could say that women are going to be more okay. Because, yes. you know, yes. because we, here's, here's a simple solution to this. How about, you want a conservative justice? Go nominate Amy Barrett right now. Yes. Bring her on. She probably didn't assault many people. Probably not. Now, will she assault our rights She'll for decades to come? Yes, yeah. exactly. She'll still yeah. do that. But, but the solution <laughs> as a blanket rule is women. When you look at the yeah. United and States, and he even suggested that when he was like, "Oh, I might put up a lady this time," he knew she was there. He could have just course. done that. Yeah. He could have just done but that, yeah, you... and who knows what he's thinking of doing? Because I don't think that he thinks clearly, and he certainly doesn't have strategy. But I don't know. I, I, I mean, in the coming days, we're going to see what happens with Kavanaugh and whether or not he makes it onto the. Bench. I don't know, and I've been traveling for well, I've been traveling for work, so I don't know what's happening, you know. But um, yeah. and that is actually a really nice kind of bliss for a couple days, just to focus on work and not. We've done that occasionally, like a vacation, just a few days off, and then it feels like you've lost a year. But that's a uh, time yeah. both moves so fast and stands still. Um, yeah. That's right. The FBI investigation was supposed to not exceed a week. And that started, what, Friday or Saturday? So we're yeah. more than halfway there. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah, oh, uh, we're recording it right now. And they said it oh. might have ended just now. Oh, I so Wow. By the time this comes out, Great. it could be already over. Okay. Well, um, yikes. Well, it, goodbye. Goodbye. Knowing <laughs> it's so, oh my God. It, it is really. Um, yeah, it's it's really tough, guys. And I, <laughs> my my wife is trying to drink a glass of wine that is empty. She's drinking the ghost wine. <laughs> Honey, don't drink the ghost wine. It's from the ghost ship. Yeah. Oh it's, no, don't suck it up like that. It has different effects <laughs> on real people. Don't do that. Um. Yeah, it's it's really. God damn it, buddy. It's so it is so hard, and uh, and and there are no good solutions except vote. Vote, 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 vote. Because ultimately, if we are voting all across this country for candidates who are not going to advance this batshit crazy agenda, um, we will ultimately win and we are going to have a difficult. I, I, I mean, listen, I, I knew the Trump years would be difficult. I knew that the four years he'd be in office would be really horrible and difficult. And I didn't know how. I don't think any of us knew how or eight. Who knows? But, you know, the time that he is in office and I, God, I hope it's not eight. But like this proves the point we need to fight 
very hard in order to get him out. And the only way that we can do that is by showing up on November 6th. For Republicans, November 7th. <laughs> hey, oh, hey, Republicans, go they ahead. They split it this year. Mm-hmm. They split it? Yeah. This year. Oh, my God. <laughs> For the two Republicans listening, it's, hate hate listening to this. Yeah, it's a primary. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to end by a, I, I had two different things I wanted to bring up before we got off, but I realized they're the same thing. Oh yeah, our um, lightning round really. Yeah, the down. lightning <laughs> round. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to bring up that because um, I've had no other place to put this, and I feel like if I tried to start tweeting about it, it would be ten thousand tweets, and then I'd have to shut down the account. Uh, it came out this week that what was that? Oh, there's an oh, SNL, SNL song of 10,000 tweets that I was singing in my head. <laughs> I love my wife. I love my cats. Um, so it came out this week that uh, it turns out that a, a great deal of the fuck you Last Jedi stuff was also the result of Russian troll bots. Uh, you couldn't let me have one hour where I didn't talk about Star Wars trolls. <laughs> I could not. Uh, which is fucking... It's, it's this other level of incredible to me, but it, it is also like, I was like, oh, of course, uh, you don't just yeah. put Trump in. It's about dividing us as a country. And I have spent so much of the last like 48 hours thinking about like all the footage I've seen from outside of a Trump rally where people threaten to murder each other because like you go home, black person, and then the black person is like, I'm from the city. And then they're like, yeah, well, anyway, eat a brick. Uh, and And it's the same thing with they were like, oh, the same anger exists in Star Wars fans, and we can tap into that. And I was like, this is fucking out of control, like bullshit, nowhere stuff. But uh, it would be its own thing. It would be its own separate thing. And and like this morning I was in the shower, and my the only thought in my head was like, hey, Times Person of the Year is Vladimir Putin. There's no way around it. Like, he is controlling the entirety of the world, and it's it's insane that we don't acknowledge that. But... Uh, the other side of that is that, like, uh, in the last week, so much has come out about Mark Judge. And if you're not following everything, Mark mm-hmm. Judge is the other guy that was in the room with Kavanaugh when the alleged rape attempt occurred. And uh, he isn't squee. He's not squee. He's not. He's not. He's not squee. We're hashtag not squee. Uh, not all squeeze. Um, but this guy, they were like, well, we can't find him to get him to come uh, say anything. But uh, a journalist did find him, and he was hiding out, living out of his car, running from <laughs> journalists. Uh, and in his car was a bunch of clothes and a box of Superman comic books uh, as he was trying to avoid people. And and Ted Cruz has said, like, how dare the Democrats try to parade this man out, uh, making fun of the fact that he was an alcoholic. When the guy has a book about being an alcoholic in this period and not remembering things. That he's made money off Him of and his for years. Bart O'Kavanaugh, which Bart O'Kavanaugh, that could possibly who, be. My son's name is also O'Kavanaugh, uh, and uh, so the fucking crazy thing that's happened in the last twenty four hours is that uh, people have dug up. He wrote a bunch of pro GamerGate uh, video game review things about like how GamerGate was about like these fucking feminists and bitches and yada yada yada. Accurate, yeah. but also even the things he wrote about like the basic structure of video games is so fucking wrong that it's like it's almost it's i would be outraged that he has these things to say about gamergate i am equally outraged that he called castlevania an obscure title from the beginning of the quote 
digital era and you're like nah come on none of what you're saying is true like oh my it, god the, the fact that he's like a gamergate bullshit boy that is also like that's him post his cleaning up but he's also like it 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 is such a 2018 thing that like that the linchpin of fuckery of the most misogynistic piece of shit bullshit thing that could possibly happen is also this guy that's just like and Zoe Quinn, what a bitch. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. of course, of course it's that guy. Of course it's that guy. It couldn't be anybody else. And, and in my head, I, I didn't believe it for 24 hours. And I kept looking into it because, like, if a Russian troll bot started this and I fell into it, yes, well, the bots are that good. But then yeah. I was like, no, this is actually the world we're in. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, so you just brought up two very different things. Right. But uh, I don't know why you wouldn't believe that because... Again, like the 2016 presidential election, like Hillary Clinton was just, she talks about this in, in her in her book, which is great, about how like, you know, we just talked about rule shifting. Like she found herself not in a presidential election. She found herself in a like entertainment news cycle. And yeah. that is in large, it's been shown that like people that traced it back, that has been shown to be in large part due to Steve Bannon, Milo fuckface and Gamergate. Like Steve Gamergate Steve, was the beta test for all Steve of us. Steve Bannon knew he he is a he is a demon of a man, but he knew how to mine cultural outrage and shift it over to politics. And right. so the fact that like the 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 these Russian bots were focused on like influencing our election with fake news and uh you know, tearing us apart with like the the racist, misogynist, uh, last Jedi criticism. Yes. Um, those aren't separate things. That is now like I don't know. People are more politically aware than ever, but what part of that is because we have cultural touchstones? to relate politics to is identity politics all politics and identity identity politics has always been politics right <laughs> it's just always been white man politics and that's just called politics so identity politics doesn't actually mean anything but no i mean the our cultural touchstones are now the same as our political touchstones right uh racism misogyny these these were thought of as cultural issues and they're not even for like Fiscal conservatives, like the economy, is still rooted in maintaining white male superiority and that place in the you know economic food chain. And now it's just it's all been meshed together in this way that people don't necessarily understand any better, but wow. feel just as passionately about. And so it is a shit show. But it, I, I don't know. It's it's just suddenly more people feel connected to that shit show. And there's no reason why we shouldn't understand how, you know, Mark Judge has as big a connection to Gamergate as he does to Brett Kavanaugh because there aren't any dividers between these things anymore. I guess, Jonathan, what I'm asking is, uh, do you think that the Russian bot campaign against Venom is a campaign against Elizabeth Warren. Oh, hold on. I just lost you. <laughs> That's fine. It wasn't a real question. Is the Russian right. bot campaign against Venom a plot against Elizabeth Warren? Oh, my God. Uh- 
sorry for dedicating the last 90 seconds to things I actually care about. Sorry, I she mean, was really right about those things. Uh, yeah, hey, so, so we, the, the made, entire we big pitches about stuff the that we entire <laughs> game here is to turn people against each other if it's cultural, mm-hmm. if right. it's political, and oftentimes it's de- it's so deeply societal that you know you're you're trying to energize people against something that they should have common someone that they should have common ground with. I mean, like, look at yes. Bernie Sanders supporters who remained, Ber- like, never Hillary people. Um, Susan Sarandon. <laughs> wait, I'm sorry? <laughs> Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon is a really great example who are now trying, kind of eating crow a little bit and trying to, I guess, find a silver lining and everything. But these are people who, who... <laughs> are being backed up in their belief that like they, that a green party vote is, you know, not really helpful to the Republican party. And it's like, well, if you were on the fence before and you thought like, and you knew who Donald Trump was and what he stood, I guess, stood for, he doesn't really stand for anything, but what he would do when he got into office and you could go back and, you know, maybe change that. Um, you would probably think differently about your vote. And you have this entire online community that was trying to back up that, no, it wasn't, wasn't a waste. And, you know, it's, it's great to support Jill Stein and, um, and, (laughs) and, you know, and like, and, and Bernie Sanders absolutely, you know, was robbed and they've, and that's not really the case. And, you know, there are a lot of good things that came from Bernie Sanders supporters becoming energized and becoming a part of right. of the and becoming a part of the Democratic Party or becoming independents who will vote Democrat, you know, because of how we align on policies. But I think it is a good example because uh, they weren't just trying to elevate Trump. They were trying to elevate Bernie. They were trying to elevate Jill Stein. They were trying to elevate anyone who would cost Hillary the presidency then. And they're trying to elevate things now that will continue to have Americans pitted against each other. And they're doing it in, in any way that they can. So does that, does something that has to do with comic books connect to politics in this case? I think it does because you're, you know, you're just trying to get people to think against one another and that's the entire game. Yeah. And for those people like, I mean, Susan Sarandon, not just speaking for herself, but representing so many people, she said in interviews that, like you said, the silver lining, the silver lining is that people care more about politics now than they ever did before. And that wouldn't happen without Trump. And uh, what also could have led that to happen is if we didn't just listen to, if white women didn't just listen to other white women, if older white men like the Republican Senate Judiciary Committee didn't just listen to other white men. Like, I don't know. It shouldn't have taken someone like Trump being in office to get, I don't know, white women to listen to black women. Like, it, I, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have needed that silver lining. And it's, it's really gross when people like Susan Sarandon uh, go on TV and pat themselves on the back for putting a monster in office because look at all the good that's happened. 
it's it's just gross. Yeah, this is the point like, where we call the episode, I think, uh, and we do what we do. Uh, we let everyone who's a guest here give a pop culture recommendation, something you've watched lately, something you love, listened to, read, what have you. Uh, Viv, you are at Viv underscore Kane on Twitter. Where can uh, what what would you like to recommend, to people? Oh, um. I, I tried to I tried to let you know this was coming. <laughs> you, oh, you didn't. You I'm go. Sorry. You go first. <laughs> I can't. Oh, let's let our guests go first. Where can people sorry, find you? you <laughs> at a point. At a point. You just took me by surprise. Give me. A oh, second I to I tried to tell you. Okay, Give me sorry. a second to catch up with the conversation. We're all taking a second here. <laughs> One second. Mine's gonna be Jason based, so I, I know I have to go last. Okay. I can. We didn't get to talk about that. Okay. You good? Yeah. All right. What's your suggestion? I don't know. The, go rewatch the Kavanaugh hearings. No. Why would you do I that? What happened? I don't know how to sink any deeper. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything good I've seen this week. And I... Do you like Maniac? Well, we haven't finished it. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Go, I don't know, read a book, any book. Oh, at a point, at a point, let's stop. Uh, when I toss to you and you do the comic book that you previewed today. No. No? Okay. Sorry, I haven't thought about it and you took this, me back This to is guys. okay. Let, let's start again. Yeah. Hey, so we're at the end of the episode. Uh, this is where we do recommendations. Everyone gives a pop culture recommendation. Uh Viv is out for the week because I can't think of anything good. We've watched two episodes of Maniac and that's good. We watched American Vandal and that's good and full of poop jokes. I can't really good. I, I can't think one. of anything to actually balance out. Two seasons all, of American Vandal is fun. I can't think of anything to actually balance out all the shit that's happened this week. So just like I don't know. My pop culture references go take a fucking walk or something. We did have we watched the Kavanaugh thing together, which is the first time we spent nine hours of a workday together in the same room, and it was hard and awful, and, it, and at the end of it, we looked at each other, and we were like, oh, wow, we've never done that. It felt kind of good just to be in that space, and like we couldn't have done it with anybody else. Yeah, so that it felt, felt really nice. bad and really good. It, it felt nice for a couple. You said Kavanaugh, my eye twitch came back. Uh, she actually does. She yeah. she gets a Kavanaugh eye twitch. I, I it's like it this, the, those episodes week. of Veep. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable. Hey, Jonathan, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me at Jonathan B. Welch um, on on Twitter and on Instagram. And um, and what I'm like into this week, I'm I'm on the road, so I'm not really watching a lot of TV, which is actually really great. Um, I am reading a book called Less. L-E-S-S, uh, and it's basically about a gay man who felt that his life was never really adding up to what he had hoped it would be, and he finds himself turning 50 on a trip around the world while his former lover is getting married, and he's dodging the wedding. Uh, it's a, that sounds awesome. It's, it's a good book about, uh, about kind of reconciling your, yourself your your image of self with the reality of your of your existence um and the other thing that i'm doing is i'm I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and i don't know if you guys knew this but former senator barbara boxer has a podcast with her daughter 
and it's what? yeah, it is great. It's what? it's called fight. Is it called Back. shadow boxing? Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, no, you know when I was in college, I donated to her campaign and I got a pair of her boxers, and I was really proud of myself. Oh my god! Um, they were not very comfortable. I'd like to think that political <laughs> clothing and union gear has gotten better since that time. Um, it's called Fight Back with Barbara Boxer, and I love it because it's really, you realize how much of a Jewish mother Barbara Boxer is, uh, and her daughter is all, her daughter's always kind of fighting her for the airtime and just saying, Mom, you need to call, hold on, let me talk, and it's just really, and she does, she lets her daughter talk, and they actually end up having some great conversations, and uh, each of them will interview someone very interesting that week, whether it's somebody running for office or somebody doing something cool, and I uh, really appreciate them doing that, so I'm a big fan. That's awesome. And where on Twitter can people find you? Me? Yeah. At Jonathan B. Welch. Uh, I will close out here. Uh, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg doc is on Hulu now. Uh, you all should watch that. Um, also, um, Jason Kander has a book called Outside the Wire, uh, and he has a podcast series called Majority 54 that I worked on. Uh, and uh, many of you may know, or if you didn't, this is your chance to know, um, he just dropped out of the race for Kansas City mayor and left the groups he works with because he has PTSD uh, from serving our country. Uh, he has temporarily stepped away from the groups that he's working step, with. Stepped away, yes. Uh, and uh, is taking some time to work on himself. Uh, and uh, and he wrote a very uh, impassioned uh, statement about how he has been able to pack this stuff down for so long because he's been able to do so much good for people, but he still found himself calling into the VA hotline suicidal thoughts just a few days ago uh and was like you know what i'm gonna go deal with this i'm a good dad i'm a good man i'm a good husband i'm gonna go do this uh and he is to both of us friend and family and uh we love him so very much and um we are just excited for him to be taking care of himself and to get through this uh and uh he is a big proponent of everyone needs to pitch in to help uh, and he calls it uh grabbing the oar and uh, everything that he does um and uh he is the only person i've ever known uh, in my life that would rather be at a phone bank or walking around your neighborhood knocking on doors for uh some sort of campaign uh usually not his own just something he believes in uh, just wants to meet people and do good uh and uh he is he is out for a while now and um it is our turn to grab an oar, especially right before the election and everyone uh, to jump in and do a thing. So uh, I just signed up uh, to volunteer at a school this morning. I volunteered to start doing a phone bank next week. And God, do I hate phone banks. I know most people are going <laughs> to yell at me and hang up. Uh, I'm grabbing an oar, and I hope that anyone that's out there listening, uh, you'll grab an oar. And how to, you know, can I just butt in for one second, Brock? Because yeah. Jason Kander is someone I admire and respect so much, and I, um, and I have to say that they're reading his book, um, 
gave me perspective that I needed and seeing his announcement gave me perspective that I needed too. And I think that in giving and sharing his story and talking about what's happening in his life right now, he's probably helping more people than he realizes. And I'm, um, and I just wish him all the best. And I think that, um, he will continue to inspire people, even if he's on the sidelines for a little bit. He's he's one of those people that we all wish all politicians could be. He just he he actually wants to serve people and make things better. And um, you know, anyone coming out speaking about their own m mental illness is is taking a risk. But for him, someone that you know, hopefully will still someday run for president. Like, that risk is no small thing. And the only reason why he would do it, he said, like, you know, I need to take this step back. Do I be honest about why that is? And the only reason why he would do so is is to work towards the destigmatization of these issues because the only way that we're going to fight that stigma is to talk about these things and to have them out in the open to treat mental illness like we treat physical illness as something to work on uh and he's he's doing that in a way that i've never seen i mean in in my you know i write about politics and pop culture and an intersection of that is like mental health and i write i anytime a celebrity comes out talking about their their struggles like I write it up and I celebrate it and I've I've just I've never seen someone put as much on the line to talk about these things as Jason is doing right now and it's uh, just incredibly courageous and helpful and you're right he's going to save lives and I think he knows that I don't know if he knows the extent to which that's true but I think he knows that otherwise he wouldn't be doing it and we're just so proud of him he is he is a, a hero and a mentor and, and we're both lucky enough to call him a friend also in the short year that we've lived here <laughs> him him and his wife diana and their son true they're just there's some good friends that we've made here and and we're so proud of all of them and he is a true leader he doesn't ever have to run for anything again if he doesn't want to he is he is the leader that will inspire all the people who can and will and if he wants to he can jump back in as well but he's he, he's given us so much and he continues to give us so much and um and i am happy that he's taking care of himself and wish him so much so much good in the future um, anyone that wants to can read his full letter on, just search Jason Kander on, on Facebook or Twitter or jasonkander.com, um, and it's up there. It's, it's a really powerful, moving, honest letter. Anyway, that's been, uh, Missouri Loves Company. Jonathan, thank, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Please rate review, tell people about the show, and we will see you all next time. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.